0: Chapter 10 of J. S. Bach by Albert Schweitzer Translated by Ernest Newman This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto Artistic Journeys, Critics, and Friends Bach loved traveling. As a young man, it attracted him because of his desire to learn from every master. Later, when he himself was a master, he felt the necessity from time to time Of getting away from the narrowness of his environment and realizing himself in freedom elsewhere it appears that he undertook these artistic journeys early as a rule in the autumn though unfortunately our information about his travels is very scanty bach's first master the prince of weimar appears to have been generous in the matter of furlough in seventeen hundred and nine bach with his friend walter opened the organ at mulhausen performing for that purpose the chorale prelude upon Burg, Peters six twenty two if indeed he did not compose it expressly for this occasion in order to show the council the full wealth of the tone of the renovated instrument of the artistic journeys of the following years we know nothing in seventeen hundred and thirteen or seventeen hundred and fourteen he performed before the court at cassel at the invitation of the hereditary prince the future king of Sweden. When the prince heard Bach play a pedal solo, he was so enraptured at the dexterity of it that he drew a ring from his finger and placed it on that of Bach. The anecdote is told by Konstantin Bellermann, rector of Minden, in a pamphlet issued in 1743. He does not give the date of the journey and thinks that at that time Bach was already in Leipzig as a matter of fact he did go on one occasion from leipzig to kassel to examine a renovated organ but this was about seventeen hundred and thirty two by that time the hereditary prince was king of sweden and we know positively that he was not in Castle. the journey during which bach played before the hereditary prince must be dated about seventeen hundred and thirteen or seventeen hundred and fourteen in those years the prince spent some time at home while before then he was almost constantly in camp being commander in the spanish war of succession at the end of seventeen hundred and fourteen he went to sweden where he married in seventeen hundred and fifteen ulrica eleanor the sister of charles the twelfth to the same period belongs a journey in which bach touched upon halle by the death of zachau fourteenth august seventeen hundred and twelve the post of organist at the lieber frauen there had become vacant it was left unfilled for a time a new organ with thirty-six stops being in course of construction after bach had tested so much of the instrument as was already playable he presented himself to the church authorities and said he would have no objection to becoming Zachau's successor he was asked to write at once a cantata as a test piece which he did when he returned to weimar he made close enquiries as to the emoluments of the post and finding that they were lower than what he already had, he broke off the negotiations at the last moment. The Haller people, who thought they had already secured him, were very displeased. They took it ill of him that he had kept them in suspense in this way, and maintained that he had only begun negotiations with them in order to extort an increase in salary from the Duke. Bach did not allow this to pass. He refuted the imputations in a courteous but firm letter, of fourteenth march seventeen hundred and fourteen later on the Halle people were reconciled to him and in seventeen hundred and sixteen they invited him with kuhnhau and rolla of quendlenburg to the testing of the now completed organ we still possess a letter in which bach answered this invitation it is addressed to his friend herr august becker Lizentiat Juris, who had acted also as negotiator between him and the council in the affair of the appointment it runs thus. Most noble, and particularly highly honoured sir, I am greatly obliged by your honour's very particular and most gracious confidence, and by that of the whole of the most honoured collegium. And as it is always the greatest pleasure to me to give your worship my most willing service, I shall now more than ever strive to serve your worship well, and according to my best ability, give satisfaction in the examine you ask of me i beg you therefore to communicate this my resolution without delay to the most honoured collegium and at the same time to give them my most humble compliments and assure them of my dutiful respects for their special confidence i also acknowledge with humble gratitude all the trouble your honour has taken for me both now and formerly and i assure you that i shall always feel the greatest pleasure as long as i live in subscribing myself most honoured sir your most obedient servant johann sebastian bach concertmeister the opening of the organ took place on the third may in conjunction with it the council gave the deputies a dinner the menu of which we can reconstruct from the receipts it included baffalamotte that is boeuf a la mode pike gammon of bacon peas potatoes spinach with little sausages boiled pumpkins fritters preserved lemon peel preserved cherries warm asparagus salad cabbage salad Radishes, fresh butter, and roast veal. The cost of the whole was eleven thalers twelve groschen. The drink came to fifteen thalers twelve groschen. Servants were also placed at the disposal of the deputies. Bach seems to have visited Leipzig for the first time in 1714. On the inner cover of the cantata "Nun komm, der Heiden Island," number sixty-one, which certainly belongs to the year 1714 he has noted down the order of the morning service in Leipzig for the first Sunday in Advent. The most natural assumption is that he performed this work in Leipzig on the first Sunday in Advent in 1714, also officiating at the organ during the service. We must not forget, however, that this is a pure hypothesis, for it is also possible that Bach wrote this cantata in 1714 for Weimar, but did not produce it until later, perhaps on the first Sunday in Advent, 1722 when applying in person for the cantorate of st thomas's in the autumn of 1717 he went to dresden where the marchand incident happened he also appears to have been about this time in meiningen where his distant and considerably older cousin johann ludwig bach was Kapellmeister. bach must have thought very highly of his compositions for he made copies of many of them We know positively that Bach was in Leipzig on the 16th of December, 1717, on which day he had been invited by the university to test the new organ in St. Paul's Church. His verdict was extremely laudatory, and from that time Scheiber, the builder of the instrument, had a reputation everywhere as one of the best organ builders, whereas previously he was hardly known. When Bach undertook this journey, he had not long been released from his Weimar captivity, and had just settled in Coton. In his new position, he had more opportunities for travelling than in the old one, since it was part of his duties to accompany Duke Leopold everywhere. These duties he would probably not be unwilling to fulfil. He spent, for instance, part of the summer of 1720 with his master in Carlsbad. It was on his return from this journey that he found in his home, instead of his beloved wife, only his motherless children. In the autumn of the same year, He undertook the journey to hamburg that gained him the admiration of reinkin and the art lovers there even when he was cantor at st thomas's he made a point of escaping every year from the narrow circle of leipzig and its artistic conditions according to agreement he should have applied for leave to the burgomaster each time this however he frequently did not do contenting himself with providing a reliable deputy and telling the rector if he had not a capable first prefect at the time the cantata would be conducted by the organist of the new church who as soon as it was over would get back to his own organ in time to fulfil his duties there so long as duke leopold was alive he died the nineteenth of november 1728. bach often went to Köthen to produce one or other of his compositions on festival occasions at the entombment of his former master in seventeen hundred and twenty-nine he contributed a large piece of funerary music for two choirs which he appears to have taken from the St. Matthew Passion, upon which he was then engaged. As shortly before his Leipzig appointment, he received the predicate of Weissenfels court composer. He also had duties towards this court, that from time to time called for his presence there. He went to Dresden frequently. He appears to have been summoned to the court there shortly before 1725, for some occasion or other. He also went there now and then to hear the opera he was accompanied on these occasions by his favorite friedemann some days previously he would say to him friedemann shall we go again to hear the pretty little dresden songs he was present at the first performance on thirteenth september seventeen hundred and thirty-one of hasse's opera Cleofide, in which the composer's wife faustina appeared on the following day he performed on the organ in saint sophia's church before the whole capella and many connoisseurs the dresden musicians thought very highly of him hasser and his wife were much attached to him and more than once visited him in leipzig bach probably visited dresden still more frequently after friedemann's appointment as organist there in seventeen hundred and thirty three moreover his appointment as court composer made it his duty to keep in touch with the musical life of dresden he received the decree in the last days of november seventeen hundred and thirty six on the first december he performed from two till four o'clock on the new silbermann organ in the Frauenkirche at Dresden. While the reigning Duke Wilhelm Ernst was still alive, he did not return to Weimar, as we can readily understand. When, however, in 1728, Ernest August, the younger Duke, succeeded to power, he certainly went there now and then, for he was in terms of cordial friendship with this artistic and intelligent prince. In 1727, he performed, for the second time, in Hamburg, perhaps at the invitation of Telemann, who thought a very great deal of him. About the same time, he seems to have visited Erfurt. Probably, most of his journeys were for the purpose of testing new organs. Interesting information upon a trip of this nature is given in a document in the Municipal Board of Works in Castle. Bach had been invited there in 1732 to try the renovated organ at St. Martin's, which had been in the repairer's hands for two years. For this he received fifty thalers remuneration and twenty-six thalers for travelling expenses. In addition, the council paid the expenses of Herr Kappelmeister and his wife at their lodgings, two thalers for the porters who carried Herr Bach twenty-five paces and a thaler for the manservant who waited on him during the eight days of his sojourn. These things were evidently done more splendidly in those days than they are now. At the end of July and the beginning of August 1736. During the conflict with Ernesti over the appointment of the first prefect, Bach was absent from Leipzig for a fortnight. We do not know where he went. His last journey may be described in Forkel's words, who narrates it approximately in the terms in which he had it from Friedemann. The fame of Johann Sebastian's all-surpassing art was so widespread that even the king very often heard it spoken of and extolled. He was consequently desirous to hear for himself so great an artist and make his acquaintance. At first he quietly hinted to Bach's son his desire that his father should some day come to Potsdam. Then he began to ask definitely why the father did not come. The son could not but communicate these expressions of the king to his father, who, however, was mostly overwhelmed with too many occupations to attend to them at once. But as the king's remarks were repeated by the son in several letters, he at length, in 1747, arranged to make the journey accompanied by his eldest son, Wilhelm Friedemann. At this time the king had a chamber concert every evening, at which he himself played some concerto on the flute. One evening, just as he had got his flute ready and his musicians were assembled, an officer brought him the list of strangers who had arrived. He looked over the paper with his flute in his hand, immediately turned round to the musicians and said with some agitation, Gentlemen, old Bach has come. The flute was thereupon laid aside, and old Bach, who had gone to his son's quarters, was at once commanded to come to the castle. I had the story from Wilhelm Friedemann, who accompanied his father, and I must say that to this very day I recall with delight the way in which he told it to me. In those days it was still customary to make rather long-winded compliments. The first appearance of Johann Sebastian Bach before so great a king, who did not even allow him time to exchange his travelling clothes for the black coat of the cantor, must thus necessarily have led to many excuses being made. I will not here give specimens of these excuses but merely remark that wilhelm friedemann gave them in the style of formal dialogue between the king and his self-excusing father. But more interesting than all this is the fact that for this evening the king gave up his flute concerto and invited the so-called old bach to try his Silbermann forte pianos of which he had several in different rooms of the castle. The musicians accompanied them from room to room and Bach had to try all the pianos and improvise upon them. After he had done this for some time, he asked the king to give him a fugue subject for him to work out impromptu. The king was astonished at the erudite way in which this theme was developed extempore, and apparently, in order to see how far such an art could be carried, expressed a wish to hear also a fugue in six parts. As, however, it is not every theme that is suited for this kind of polyphony, Bach chose one himself and developed it immediately to the great admiration of all present in the same brilliant and learned way as he had formerly done the theme of the king then the king wanted to hear him on the organ he accordingly took him on the following days to all the organs to be found in potsdam as he had taken him previously to all the silbermann forte pianos after his return to leipzig he worked out in three and six parts the theme the king had given him added various clever canonic manipulations of it had it engraved on copper with the title musicalicious opfer musical offerings and dedicated it to its inventor this was bach's last journey bach's artistic journeys made him at an early date famous throughout germany after his victory over marchand in seventeen hundred and seventeen he was one of the celebrities of the fatherland the german musicians were proud to be able to oppose a master of their own race to the french and italian virtuosi let german musicians affect italian ways if they would in order to win a cheap renown let the very existence of a german art be denied the fact remained that there was such a thing and that it had publicly triumphed over the other bach thus had no need to fight for recognition only the virtuoso it is true one fame the composer of the cantatas and passions had small share in this recognition no one not even his enemies ventured to deny that he was a prince of clavichord players and the king of organists but no one even among his best friends had a suspicion of the real greatness of the composer as a composer he was actually censured by the two leading critics of the time Madison and schreiber Madison examines the cantata ich hatte viel Becumernis, number twenty one which bach probably had performed during his visit to hamburg in seventeen hundred and twenty and finds the declamation imperfect in that Bach at the commencement makes the chorus repeat three times the detached words ich 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 before it gives out the whole phrase, while in other places he has split up the phrases in a way that contradicts the sense. So far as the threefold repetition of the I is concerned, the criticism is not wholly unjustified. It is curious that the great Hamburg art oracle should have taken just this cantata, which is not impeccable in its declamation as the basis for his verdict on the most perfect master of musical declamation. Had he taken the trouble to acquaint himself with other vocal compositions of Bach, he would have been undeceived, and would certainly have enlisted him as an ally in his justifiable war against the careless musical declamation of the epoch. In truth, however, Madison had no particular desire to become acquainted with Bach's work. He had hailed him in 1717, in his Dask Best Jutster Orchestra, as a rising star and had asked him for an autobiographical contribution to the Ehrenpforte, which he was then planning bach did not send it to him having no liking for such things of that kind during his sojourn in hamburg bach probably did not think it necessary to court the protection of the famous critic which would hardly increase madison's good-will towards him for he could not endure independent characters and only felt sympathetic towards people who sought and glorified his authority so on the few occasions on which he mentions bach his tone is one of the recognition but at the same time of indifference scheiber's criticism of bach is much more interesting it is true that he also was not unbiased for he bore bach a grudge for having rejected him when he applied for the organist post at st thomas's in seventeen hundred and twenty nine his criticisms appeared in the Critischer Musikus for seventeen hundred and thirty seven a journal that Scheiber edited from 1737 to 1740 in Hamburg, where he had taken up his abode. An anonymous friend, who is instructed by him in the art of criticizing according to the true rules of reason, sends him in a travel letter a miscellany of good and bad upon the musicians of several towns that he has just visited. The people concerned are indeed not mentioned by name, but they are so clearly indicated that they are easily recognized. The passage in which Bach recognized himself runs thus, Herr is the most eminent musician in He is a wonderful artist on the clavichord and the organ, and so far he has met with only one with whom he can contend for superiority. I have several times heard this great man play. His dexterity is astonishing, and one can hardly comprehend how it is possible for him to cross his fingers and his feet so remarkably and so nimbly, or to make the widest leaps with them without once striking a wrong note or distorting his body, no matter how quick his movements are. This great man would be the admiration of all nations if he had more amenity, and if his works were not made unnatural by their turgid and confused character, and their beauty obscured by too much art. As he judges by his own fingers, his pieces are extremely hard to play. He expects the singers and the instrumentalists to do with their throats and their instruments what he can play on the clavier. This, however, is impossible. All graces, all little embellishments and everything that one understands by style and playing, he writes out in the exact notes, which not only deprives his pieces of the beauty of harmony, but makes the melody absolutely indistinct. All the parts work together, and with the same difficulty, so that we cannot distinguish any leading voice. In short, he is in music what formerly Herr von Lohenstein was in poetry turgidity has led them both from the natural to the artificial and from the lofty to the obscure and in each of them one wonders at the painful labour of it all that nevertheless comes to nothing since it is at variance with reason it would be a mistake to say in this criticism only an outburst of the personal resentment that scheiber harboured against bach scheiber regarded himself and to a certain extent with justice as the literary champion of a new music he makes war on the contemporary art which, by its imitation of the Italian style and its deliberate artificiality, has departed from the true ideal, and has no longer any poetic value. As a pupil of Gottschalk, he believes himself called to preach the return to simple nature in music, to declare war on the aria and all erudite formulae, to deride perpetually the unnaturalness of the Italian opera, and especially its German imitation. And to uphold as the ideal that form of art in which the words are not a mere pretext for the music but word and tone unite in perfect unity, the opera of the future is for him a real musical drama. Certain chapters in which he discusses stage music are really excellent. much of what he says might have been expressed in the same way, word for word by Wagner. It is therefore not to be wondered at that Schreiber's views exercise so deep an influence on Gluck. It was precisely these theories of his, indeed, that made it impossible for him to do justice to Bach. The latter's astounding contrapuntal technique made him seem to Scheiber, the chief representative of artificial music. Perhaps however, the critic of the gottsched circle bore him the worst grudge for showing no interest whatever in the aspiration towards the art of the future, and was not in the least particular as to the poetic quality of his texts. Scheiber wanted his criticism to strike the most eminent of the class of musicians who persisted in being musicians and nothing more of the fact that this learned music had within it a poetry of its own Scheiber had as little intuition as the sons and the friends of the master bach was incensed to the highest degree by this criticism and asked his friend magister Bernbaum, a professor of rhetoric at the leipzig university to take up the pen for him the latter gladly did so and first of all published in January, 1738, an anonymous article which, however, was not very effective. Scheiber easily countered it by showing up the dilettante quality of the musical judgments of the anonymous writer, whose name was not unknown to him. From this reply we learn that Herr Hofkompositor himself distributed the vindication of himself to his friends and acquaintances with no small gratification on the 8th January of this year. One unpleasant feature of the controversy is the way in which Scheiber always adverts to the fact that Bach is not in a position himself to take up the pen against him, and how, at every opportunity, he represents him as a musician who lacks the necessary general education. With exquisite humor, he sketches an imaginary letter of Bach's in which the master shows the philosophers and quill drivers to the door of the Temple of Art. Scheiber probably involved into the letter of some authentic sayings of Bach that had remained in his memory from an earlier time, as when he makes him say, I have always been of the opinion that a musician has enough to do simply with his art, without wasting his time on long-winded books and learned philosophical discussions. Against the reproach that the master was lacking in the general artistic culture that is indispensable to musicians, Birnbaum vindicated the offended cantor in an article of March 1738 signed with his name. From this we learn something of Bach the Aesthetician. Bach knows so perfectly, the magister says, the analogies between the working art of a musical piece and the art of rhetoric, that people not only listen to him with satisfaction and delight when he expounds lucidly the resemblances and correspondences of the two, but admire also the skilful application of them in his works. To this, Scheiber has nothing that is very rational to say. All the same, Bach's prickly critic, the adjective often occurs in the controversy, regards him as one of the greatest composers of pure music. In the number for 22nd December 1739, Scheiber is lavish in his praise for the Italian concerto. As a cantata composer, to be sure, he ranks him below Telemann and Graun. On the whole, it may be said, that Scheiber's criticism did harm to the author himself, but brought good to the object of his attack, since its offensive tone everywhere stimulated sympathy for Bach. Later on, Scheiber also appears to have recognized that he had not gone about the affair in the right way. In the preface to the second edition of the kritischer Musikus, we can see the glimmerings of something like an apology. In spite of its incivility, Scheiber's criticism is really the most interesting of the contemporary criticism of Bach the other deliverances upon him run on general lines of admiration and amazement and rhetorical analogies from ancient mythology but we learn nothing from them of what we should most like to know how the characteristic quality of bach's art affected his contemporaries we would gladly exchange all these panegyrics for a single sentence of some one who at the first performance of the st matthew passion had an intuition of the real spirit of bach's music bach was probably most pleased with the monument that the friendship and affection of his former rector gesner erected to him under the cover of a latin note to the Institutiones varias of quintilian an edition of which he edited in seventeen hundred and thirty-eight at the end of a passage referring to the artist who while singing accompanied himself on the sitara and beat time with his feet he adds to this note all this my fabius you will think quite trifling if you could rise from the dead and see bach whom i mentioned because not long ago he was my colleague at st thomas's school in leipzig how with both hands and using all his fingers he plays the clavier that contains in itself the tones of many or that instrument of instruments whose innumerable pipes are animated by bellows how he flies over the keys this way with both hands and that way with his nimble feet and unaided calls forth a plurality of quite different passages that yet harmonize with each other could you i say see how while he achieves what a number of your sitarists and a thousand of your flute-players together could not achieve he not only sings one melody like a man who has nothing more to do but sing to the sitara but attends to everything at once and keeps thirty or forty musicians in order one by a nod another by stamping time with his foot and a third with a warning finger and joins in with his own voice now in a high part now in a lower one and again in a middle one and how he alone when they are all working together at their loudest although he has the hardest task of all yet at once notices when and where something is wrong and keeps them all together and watches everything and if there is any hesitation restores certainty how rhythm is in every limb of him how his quick ear grasps every harmony and how he himself reproduces each voice within the small compass of his own In general, I am a great admirer of antiquity, but I believe that my friend Bach, and whoever may be at all like him, comprises in himself many men like Orpheus, and twenty singers like Arion. The note probably achieved the purpose its author had in view, the mollifying of the cantor who had been so nettled by Scheiber's sarcasms. If, by the way, the picture is not a purely rhetorical one, it points to the fact that Bach conducted his cantatas from the organ bach was also celebrated in verse although this honor fell to him less frequently than it afterwards did to his two eldest sons he possessed at hamburg a poetical acquaintance herr friedrich hudemann doctor of law whom he had distinguished in seventeen hundred and twenty seven by dedicating a very learned canon to him hudemann in return addressed the following verses to bach in a collection of poems proben einiger gedichte which he published at hamburg in seventeen hundred and thirty two when von gar Langer seit des Orpheus Harfen why wei er die menschen traf seek auch in Tiere drang, so muß es großer Bach weit schoner dir gelingen, es kann nur deine Kunste, Fährenvogte, Seelen zwingen, und dieses trifft gewiss mit der Erfahrung ein. Oft seit mein Stieberlicher den Tieren anlik sein wenn ihr so bloder geist nicht dein verdienst erreicht und in der urteilskraft den dummen kaum treibst du deinen schall an mein geschafftig ohr so tonnet bei mich deugt der ganze Musenschor, ein orgelgriff von dir muß selbst der neid beschamen und jeden lasterer dei Apollo hat dich langst der Lobiers wir geschatzt und deines Namen Ruhm in Marmor eingeatzt. Du aber kannst allein durch deine, deine besselten Zeiten, dir deine unsterblichheit vollkommner Bach bereiten. Contemporary works of musical biography tell us hardly anything about Bach since in spite of two requests he could not make up his mind to send Matheson an autobiographical contribution for the errant forte, the latter was offended and passed him over in it without mention. Walter, in his musical lexicon of 1732, enumerates only dates in Bach's career and the work that had appeared in print, as he did in the case of every contemporary musician. He cannot refrain from characterizing the clavier pieces, that is the six suites of the first part of clavier ubung as excellent at the end he observes that even the letters b a c h are melodic in their sequence a remark that owed its origin to the leipzig herr bach the enumeration of the names of all who felt friendship and respect for him would make a fairly long list the members of the dresden capella and those of the berlin capella to which his son belonged looked upon him as one of themselves of the musicians, the two most famous at that time, Hasser and Telemann, were most cordially attached to him. All the Bachs honored him as the head of the great old family. His pupils were devoted to him, and lost no opportunity of showing him their devotion, and of demonstrating their justifiable pride in their teacher. The leading members of society in Dresden set up for his patrons the cultivated Livonian Freiherr von Kaiserling, who from seventeen hundred and thirty three to seventeen hundred and forty five was russian ambassador at the dresden court befriended him whenever he could princes such as duke leopold of coton duke ernst august of weimar and duke christian of weissenfels treated him as a friend when all is said however all these were only good acquaintances bach does not appear to have had a real friend so closely bound up with him as to have a part in his deepest thoughts and experiences. His intimates were his wife and his two eldest sons. To others, he did not reveal the whole friendliness and joviality of his nature. He kept them all at a certain distance from him. For this reason, we know nothing of Bach's real inner nature. No one has been able to hand down to us a remark in which he revealed anything of his inmost soul. Not even his sons could tell Forkel anything of this kind. End of chapter 10. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.